Welcome to Stories of Scotland, a podcast exploring Scottish history and culture through adventures and investigations. We travel across lands and mountains through myths, ballads and folklore to bring you both celebrated and forgotten stories of Scotland from our living room. My name is Annie, I'm a Highland historian meandering around the time-space wormholes that form in museums. And I'm Jenny, I love nothing more than meandering around lochs and up Munro's. In this first episode, we're looking at why storytelling is so important in Scotland's past and is still so valuable in the modern world through looking at Bothy culture. Jenny and I met through a love of sharing stories. We both perform at open mics in small, quite dingy bars in Inverness. <laughs> I do poetry and storytelling and Jenny does comedy. Yes, I was, uh, I was doing weird stand-up about rocks and then I saw you doing weird storytelling about rocks and the rest is history. Uh, <laughs> the crowds weren't always as enthusiastic as we were though, which is why the podcasting has, has come round. Hi, but sometimes even very drunk people were listening to us because they enjoyed the stories that we told. I spoke mostly about Scottish history because that's what I'm really passionate about. And a lot of my stand-up is really inspired by the natural world and my love of hill walking. But when we got... Blathering, me and Jenny thought it would be a really lovely thing to do a podcast on Scottish history and nature. Yeah, well, we realised how we both love wandering and being out in the wild, but for really different reasons. We both have different stories and we look at the landscape in Scotland in different ways. Annie knows the cultural history and I know the natural sort of environmental science behind the land. Both of us wanted to dig further into these stories and bring them together for a new perspective on Scotland. We both spend loads of time in natural places in the middle of nowhere, but we live in the only city in the Highlands, so we're a bit obsessed with the rural outdoors. And I think we began looking at stories and folklore of people in nature because we were looking for a sense of belonging. And there's a strange identity to being a Highlander. It's hard to exist here without feeling some kind of call to the glens, I guess. Yeah. We're always going to the coast, the lochs, the natural world. It's like it's where we're meant to be. We're living these modern lives in an urban city, Inverness, which is actually not the most urban yeah, of cities. I don't, I don't know. We literally live in the centre of Inverness and can get into a hill in maybe seven and a half minutes. <laughs> but we do. We look for our Highland identity in rural places, I think is a safe thing to say. Yes, yeah. But even in places that feel very wild, we found stories of the communities there and the meanings that the land has had to them. And that's kind of where we've begun this podcast, by going on long walks and finding bothies, and then trying to bring the idea of bothies back to the city. So a bothie is a wee outbuilding, which you see all over the Highlands, and they're really important places for Scottish culture. We're going to go into that. I think we've both learned so much just yeah. researching for yeah. this episode. They're very basic buildings. Sometimes they're just a room and a fireplace. Sometimes there isn't even a fireplace and there's <laughs> definitely no toilets. We should truly understand the reason why people call the toilet the bog. <laughs> oh, Jenny. In the past, Bothies were farm outbuildings that would have been occupied by seasonal workers or perhaps in more remote places used by gillies, who are the people on big estates who are the guides for fishing, deer stalking and such like. Right, but nowadays bothies are open shelters, often used by hill walkers as a place to stop and rest, and often stay the night. They're maintained by an excellent organisation called the Mountain Bothy Association, who ensure they remain in usable condition for the public. 
But the Bothy is more than just a shelter. People come from all over the world to walk in Scottish nature. And when they come together in the Bothy, they continue a tradition that has happened in the Bothy for centuries. They share stories. And I love hearing stories and sharing stories. I think it's one of the most nourishing things that we can do for ourselves. Most Bothys are in rural areas. Some are remote from any roads and they require a wee walk and sometimes a not so wee walk. Jenny, have you got any tales of hiking into a Bothy? Yeah, yeah, I've got some crazy ones, but I think the one that sticks with me the most is I was hiking the Cape Wrath Trail, which is a trail that runs from Fort William up to the northwest corner of Scotland, the Cape Wrath. And it's nothing like the West Highland Way. There's no trail, there's no waymark. It's just bogs for miles through the most wild and raw landscape in the country. And I'd had a really tough day. I woke up in the rain and it was really slow going, trudging through bogs. I mean, it was spectacular though. I was going down these massive prehistoric glens. The one I was going down, it was narrowing and narrowing. And I realized, well, I didn't realize it, but I'd missed my river crossing a couple miles back. And I was getting funneled down towards this waterfall but I was like on the side of a glen cliff, essentially, sort of shimmying along. And I realized I was gonna have to cross this river, but it was in spate. So I put, I like geared up and I put a leg in and I realized if I went any further, I was gonna get swept away and down this waterfall. So I, I quickly got out the river and sort of figured out a way to scale down the side of the waterfall. Anyway, I, I kept hiking and I walked all the way down the wrong side of the river and eventually it led out to the sea and I crossed over the bay there and trudged through to the Bothy I was heading to, which was Barrisdale Bothy, which is in the really, really isolated area. Although it is one of the few Bothies that has electricity, so that was quite nice. Yeah. yeah. But I got inside and I put all my stuff down and it wasn't until I was lying in the cool and quiet, still safe space that I realised just how close to death I had come and how stupid I had been and how fragile we are. That sounds absolutely terrifying. I've been in similar situations when hill walking and it feels like if you're going to retrace your steps, it's somehow a failure. Oh, yes. You're just like, I'd rather die than go back. <laughs> and instead, you walk forward into a ridiculously dangerous situation and it's only where you get to the place that you meant to be where you just retrospectively feel so daft. Yep. Because going backwards and finding a different path, a safe path, is a winning move. It just doesn't seem like it at the time. It's nuts. <laughs> but like contemplating that when I was sitting in this bothy alone, it was, I was just sort of thinking about what could have been and how lucky I was and sort of realising the gravity of the situation. When out of the blue, six Polish men turned up with a metric ton of whiskey. Like, I mean, like they had Tesco bags <laughs> with whiskey in it. Like, and they'd hiked for miles with them. It was nuts. Anyway, apparently, you know, we Scots like to brag about how much whiskey we can drink. Well, let me tell you, the Polish can drink a lot of whiskey too. <laughs> and we had a great, we had a fantastic night in there. And there was just sort of just outpouring of life and energy and everyone was totally enthralled in the moment. There was this breakdown of barriers or tension and everyone was so present in the middle of nowhere together. It was really, really beautiful. To have the real awareness of death so raw in my mind and then to experience the full power of life and energy in the same day in this bothy, it was, it was, it was amazing. However, we do want to encourage <laughs> our darling listeners to hike responsibly. So please don't do a Jenny and do read your maps. Oh, absolutely. Do as I say, not as I do. But I, actually, I did get off the trail the next day. I realized how underprepared I was. And ever since then, I've always hiked with a GPS spot device. And I always check my river crossings on maps. And I've, I've learned to read the landscape a lot more thoroughly since then. So I learned. I learned my lesson. I'm proud of you, Jenny. Thank you. And if you can make it to Bothy safely, 
Bothing is also good for the psych. Part of the intrigue of Bothies is that you are kind of cut off from technology. There's nowhere to charge your phone. There's rarely even a phone signal. You can enter the space that you've hiked out to and you can genuinely rest because you don't need to worry about emails or work or what's happening anywhere else in the world but inside the Bothy. And such a non-stop 24-7 digital world, places like Bothies can help ground us in ourselves. The Bothy rests the body, but also rests the mind. And Bothy Entertainment is the best. <laughs> so you have like the Bothy television, which you can spend hours watching. Um, you're talking about the fireplace, aren't you? Yes, I am. But they're hypnotic. I don't know. There's just there's all these amazing hills or mountains to climb and locks to paddle in. Or even swimming if you aren't afraid of the cold. That's a no for me. <laughs> <laughs> but there's just something very special about stepping into a Bothy. It's like going back in time. They're lit by candles and they have this kind of older spirit feeling. And the people you meet in Bothies are usually happy to share food and drink and tales about the mountain. And even though they are sometimes quite cold buildings, you still get a feeling of inner warmth. Or, or the warmth of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Drams are a pillar of Bothy culture. <laughs> and if you can't get the beautiful golden whiskey, then often the rivers you use as a water source will be giving you a gorgeously murky colour of water because the high peak content across much of Scotland makes the water come out its own amber hue. I boil it before drinking. I never boil it or filter. And to be fair, I haven't had a problem yet, although it sometimes can get a bit chewy. <laughs> but it's, it's fine. I love peat. I love peat. Peat bogs are inevitable when you're out hiking, so it's best to learn to love them. In fact, peat covers almost a quarter of Scotland. Wait, uh, can you explain what peat is? Yeah, so peat is a dense accumulation of slowly decaying organic matter. Due to the cold temperatures and high water content... Welcome to Scotland. <laughs> dead plants don't decay as fast as they do in warmer, drier climates. This leads to a slow build-up of half-decayed matter which becomes very dense and carbon-rich. Peat bogs take thousands of years to develop and store massive amounts of carbon. If left for millions more years, they'll eventually turn into coal. Um, but peat has been used in Scotland for as long as people have lived here. Because it's so high in carbon, if you dry it out, it burns really, really well. There's no better smell than a peat fire on a cold, wet night. Mm. It burns with a distinctive, deep, smoky smell, which is captured in the smoky whiskies from the Western Isles. A drama these takes you deep into the Scottish history, and it'll make your eyes water while you're there. Oh, I love whiskey, and I love peat. And that, weirdly, I think storytelling is kind of like a peatland, because slowly truths and tales blend together to become an enriching substance from the past. Each generation adapts stories from their heritage to make them more relevant to the present day, and that becomes the layer, and then the new becomes the old, and the next generation builds on top. New things may grow and fall into the same cycle until you get this kind of massive energy that builds up to be greater than its parts. And storytelling culture is so important in so much of Scottish identities. It's a critical part of both Gaelic clan culture and also all of the traditional occupations, from agricultural songs when you're ploughing a field, sailing shanties, songs for walking, so that's the people who are dyeing textiles. And if you look at just a metre of peat, you're seeing a thousand years of history and everything that's been in that space. Just as if you're retelling the myths, legends, poems of Scotland, you're getting hundreds of years of the land. And even the Vikings, infamous for taking parts of northern Scotland by brutal force, had the Skald, the poet who told the oral history of the people. 
stories are woven into every part of our history. And the Bothy is such a critical place for storytelling in Scotland. So these Bothy stories we were talking about, they're richly steeped in tradition. And the most famous of these are the Bothy Ballads. The Bothy Ballads go back to a time when Bothies were still places for unmarried agricultural workers. And it's so easy to imagine what the Bothies would have been like at this time, because even nowadays, the vast majority of them are lit by candles. There's no electricity, no plumbing. Entering a Bothy is like stepping back in time. Aye, and I found a letter published in the Nurnshire Telegraph in 1859 by a Bothy worker who was talking about the Bothy system. The paper highlights that part of the letter was unfit for publication, so they've had to omit it. And I think they mean that it was probably too rude for your standard Victorian reader. (laughs) Jenny, can you channel your inner farm worker to read some of these quotes? Oh, I can try. All right. Just to drop note concerning the awful scene which I have seen in these horrible bothies, where first I went to service was into one of these dangerous pits that I had to make my home for half a year. I was most astonished when I entered into this bothy. I saw nothing but a few chests and one crimpy, or stool and one pot. Then we had an apartment for sleeping and the woman had a small corner close beside us for sleeping, and I had a companion sleeping along with me. I was very discontented the first night I slept with this lad, but to my great astonishment, when I looked at his blanket, it was all over with vermin. I had an awful time before I got my bed clean. I was very ill in my first bothy. I was very young. After I was a few days in my service, I thought that if there was a hell on earth, then it was in this pit, for I had never heard such cursing, such profanity, of what I thought first to run home from my thoughts, whether the Lord might rain fire and brimstone upon this fearful pit. Um... Thankfully, this boy mentions that the next bothy he went to work in was filled with kind and good men, and he seemed to enjoy working in this bothy, but he then had to go home for school. So this makes me think that actually, Jenny, this writer is a very young teenager to have both the bothy life and the schooling. Okay. All right, here we go. Let's do it again. I am really ashamed to put it in print, for the sights were most abominable. Really most horrible to be held in a country, the scenes which I have witnessed. It was more fitter for keeping brocks or badgers in. For any human person, I was like stave with cold in this badger's hole, for there were holes in the roof. I had to put my stockings on wet and frozen. There would be wreaths of snow upon my chests, upon my bedclothes. When I would raise in the mornings, my teeth would be chacking together. Jeez, oh, that was intense. <laughs> I know, it's, it's really shocking. From ages of about 13 onwards, boys would be spending six months at a time living in the bothies, working on the farms, often in dreadful conditions. However, what this letter really highlights is the importance of the people that you work with. So we've condensed this letter quite a bit. And this young lad, he explains that when he first goes to the Bothy, part of the reason that he dislikes it so much is because he's hearing profanities, Mm -hmm. curse words that he's never heard before. Mm. And his mam packed him up to go to the Bothy. She would have given him a Bible and told him to be obedient to the Bothy master. And suddenly he's hearing language that he's never heard before. But then when he goes to his next Bothy 
and the man is speaking more softly. They're maybe doing the um, unexplicit versions of the Bothy songs. (laughs) (laughs) He has a very different experience. He thinks that they're good and kind people, wholesome. The radio edits. (laughs) (laughs) But when he's working in a Bothy, which is still going to have uncomfortable conditions, because his employer is kind and good man, he doesn't have a bad word to say about it. Um, now, the bad language that this sweet young lad is concerned about is something that we hear a lot in Bothy ballads. Yeah, after a long and hard day working, the men would return to the Bothys for food and rest. And the men were cooking their own food, which at the time was actually quite unusual. When the sun was down and the peat was burning, the men would perform songs for each other, which we know today as Bothy ballads. The workers would learn these songs from each other, passing them on over time. They'd add verses and change lines to make them relevant to the people working on the farm that year. And the ballads would evolve and change as the workers did inside the walls of the Bothy. So the kind of hard traditional Bothy ballad are those that come from Aberdeenshire. The epicentre being an area called Bachin. The traditional earlier songs were more sombre and serious, but as time progressed and the culture evolved, the psalms became more comedic and satirical. The Bothy ballads of the Northeast look at many topics, including romance, love, exposing injustices, life around the farms and major events, the masters of the Bothy, the landowners, the good working crews, their pals, countryside, landscape, it goes on. There was a very fluid social commentary about rural life in Scotland. Also, there's a strong tradition of folk song throughout Scotland, from the islands in the north to the borders in the south. So even when people talk about Bothy ballads and they really mean the northeast, it's kind of safe to assume that there's ballads being sung in Bothys across the rural areas of Scotland. And they weren't just for entertainment. They were there to teach lessons and pass on valuable information. There would be biannual fairs in all the towns for employment where farm owners would look for workers for the next six months. If you'd heard songs being sung about the overwork and poor pay at Ochterlest, then you'd know to steer clear of working there. These were also social events with young working men and women coming together to celebrate the promise of work. The young women would be employed in the farm kitchens and were often the inspiration for many ballads. If I had a penny for every dairy maid who broke a ploughman's heart. But also... (laughs) The romantic affairs of people who lived in Bothys were often perceived as being highly immoral by anyone outside the Bothy. In the 1860s, I found reports blaming the Bothy system for the higher number of births outside of marriage in Scotland compared to England. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yes, the Victorians very much frowned upon what they called illegitimate children. Mm. I have another quote from the Caledonian in 1858, which covers a report by the Free Church of Scotland, which talks about men living in Bothys, saying that they are separated from all of the restraints and refining influences of social and domestic life, that they are corrupt and corrupting one another, often soured by discontent and alienated from their masters as neglected by them, are led to spend their evenings in a manner calculated altogether to debase and demoralise them. It continually talks about the sins and evils of the Bothy. Wow. Well, the Bothys were difficult places to live. 
but the people who live in them actually created incredible songs and poetry about their lives, which showcases that they had love and heartbreak and joy on the farms and in their work. They didn't want to forget their history and how they've come to be where they are. And that's what's beautiful. What I love is that these people are cramped in a small space for a really long time and working together. You'd think that they would be sick of each other, but actually you get them coming together and connecting further through songs and stories. And what we have here is a kind of interesting, I guess, comparison between Bothies of the past and the Bothies of the present. They were very tough places to live for very tough yet creative people. And they were perceived from outsiders as being dreadful for both the body and the mind. The body because the sanitary conditions were so bad and the mind because it's seen as a place of being corrupted morally. Mm. Whereas nowadays, the Bothy is a place for walkers, maybe people who do desk jobs throughout the week, who want to nourish their bodies by getting outside in the world and nourish their minds. Yeah, it's just sort of further evolution of the Bothy, you know? Shall we listen to some ballads? Yes, please. All right. Well, our pal Kyle has kindly agreed to sing a couple of verses for us to give us a taste of the bothy life. Take it away, Kyle. Sit down here, companions, and gee us your crack. The wind tag the care of this life on its back. Our hearts to the darkness we never submit. For we've aye been provided for, and say will we yet, and say will we yet, oh, and say will we yet, for we've aye been provided for, and say will we yet. So fill us a tankard, oh, nappy brown ale, it'll comfort our hearts and enliven the tale. For will I be the merrier the longer that we sit? For we drank together many times, and say will we yet, and say will we yet, and say will we yet? For we drank together many times, and say will we yet? So fill up your glass, let the bottle get on. For the sun it will rise, though the moon it goes down. And though the room be running, run aboard, it's time enough to flit. When we fell, we I got up again, and say will we yet. And say will we yet, oh, and say will we yet. When we fell, we I got up again, and say will we yet. Wow, Kyle, that was amazing. Thank you so much. Swiggity swathy, here comes the bothy. Beautiful. I love it. I, I feel like as well as you'd hear that being sung in the bothy, more and more people would join in as it went. And that song's really about camaraderie and, and being with your friends and drinking, having a good time. And I feel like it's a wonderful example of a ballad. Good choice. So what I love about the Say Will We Yet bothy ballad is that it's just got such an incredibly positive energy to it. It's talking about the, the kind of patterns that we see going on in life and that you've got peaks and troughs. But it's the, the idea of it, the say will we yet, is we've always got out of the trough and we'll do it again. So no matter how dark things are, it's always going to get better. And like you're saying, Jenny, it's just a really happy drinking song. And my favourite bit is at the end when they're talking about the 
the room just ringing around them because they're all a wee bit drunk mm. and they keep falling down and then getting back up again. <laughs> that is life, you know? Pick yourself up. And I've heard I've heard versions of this song when they're they're kind of singing of regret that they're going to be ploughing the next day. But <laughs> But they're, they're pretty certain that since they've sung the ballad, it, it'll be bringing a positive harvest. Oh, yeah. But that was amazing. Should we have another one? Yes, absolutely. There's a firm to not up and kill me that's can't be fair and white. To be the hash of drum delgy upon sweet Devran's side. The firm arroy and muckle tuny is bethered and sair. In the coldest day that ever blows, his servants get their share. Ah, uh, thank you, Kyle. That was really lovely. So, Jamdalgi is about, it's a kind of warning ballad about a farmer who's a wee bit mean, who underpays his workers, who doesn't keep his bothy in great condition, so they're, they're cold at night. Maybe like the newspaper that we were reading earlier on. So it's a kind of warning ballad to say, don't go up to Drumdalgi, he's near a very nice man to work for. But Drumdalgi is an incredible Bothy ballad, and that was actually only the first verse of it. It goes on to really extensively explain Bothy life, from underwhelming porridge, getting up at the absolute crack at dawn, which in Scottish summertime means about 4am, and then working right until sunset. The last verse of Drumdalgi says, Fare ye well, Drumdalgi, I bid ye adieu. And I'll leave as I got ye, a maced, uncivil crew. Oh, it's brutal. Which <laughs> I think I think it's a fair assumption to say you wouldn't want to be working in Drumdalgi. Not unless you wanted a good new tune out of it. <laughs> <laughs> new playlist. Getting bored of these old ones. <laughs> Bothy is one of the main inspirations for this podcast. The idea that stories are like a kind of patchwork quilt that we need to sew together. That the best stories come from adventure and maybe getting lost, whether on walks or in the songs of the past, and sharing stories like we share a hip flask of whiskey. I guess we want to bring the Bothy into people's living rooms and cars and headphones. Yes, and we've uncovered so many amazing stories for us to tell in the Bothy of our imaginations. Our next episode looks at Scotland's most famous story, the Loch Ness Monster. Our challenge here was to try to find you stories that you can't find anywhere else, and we had so much fun with that. Mm. And after that, we explore the Cowsea Caves with much lesser knowing stories of Scotland, and we got everything from a Bronze Age child mortuary to wizards. It was amazing. So many thanks to Ewan McCreeth who wrote and performed our jingles, which are wonderful. And also thanks to Kyle Walker who sang some beautiful ballads for us. And thank you so much for listening. You can find more information on our website, storiesofscotland.com. If you enjoy the podcast, then please like and subscribe or get in touch to tell us your stories of Scotland. I've been Annie. And I've been Jenny. Thank you for listening to Stories of Scotland. Violet before drinking. <laughs> I sometimes boil it. When I'm with people, I want to impress. That's when I don't boil it. <laughs> I'm like, look at me. <laughs> <laughs> we go in different circles, Jen. <laughs>
Swiggity sweetie, it's about to get peaty. 